Hey listeners, Dennis here. Happy New Year. Happy, happy New Year. On this episode of Wisco Weekly, this is going to be a repeat of an episode I did with a company called Hire Car. Hire Car trades on the stock market with the symbol H-Y-R-E. And I had the chance to interview the senior vice president, Brian Allen, who's a longtime dealer executive of the Galpin Automotive Group. And in this particular interview, which was done close to two years ago, right about this time, Hire Car was trading right at their, you could call this 104-week highs. They were trading in the high sevens range. And shortly thereafter, in 2019, throughout 2020, their stock has taken a little bit of a dive. And it has now gone back up right to where it was two years ago, trading right in that seven to eight dollar range. If you look at their chart, it looks like a suspend, it looks like the suspension cables of a bridge. So this is an episode to look back on where Hire Car has gotten from this particular interview back in January of 2019 to January 2021. I'll be back with you next week. Enjoy. Be safe, stay healthy, happy new year. You are now tuned in to the Wisco Weekly Experience. Chicken brown, chicken brown cow. Listeners, welcome to another episode of Wisco Weekly. Here's another episode into 2019, and there is a mission that I'm on to try to transform what I can do in the automotive space. And a lot of that will kind of boil down to the dealership level and hopefully aligning the consumer and the citizen interests. So on the show, I get the opportunity to share the voices of automakers, automotive retailers, and transportation professionals who are driving and shaping the future of automotive. And today's guest is going to be a treat, certainly for me, but perhaps for all of you. Um, you're probably going to know his name. You're probably going to know his work. Today's guest is an industry veteran. He's logged more than 30 years in the car business, and specifically with the respective respected auto brand, Galpin Motors. From serving as a sales manager back in the 80s to a general manager and onboarding new brands and dealerships within Galpin Motors, my guest today is uniquely qualified to discuss the dealership of the future. Men, women, and children, please welcome to the show Senior Director of Strategic Partnerships for Hire Car, which is his new position that we, that we will be talking about today, Mr. Brian Allen. Well, uh, thank you very much, Dennis. Uh, welcome, sir. Well. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you. Um, I look forward to talking. There's so much happening that's exciting. I'm looking forward to learning from you, hearing your insight. I think because because of the positions you've been in and your success along the way, and now what you're doing with Hire Car, again, it's like you, you're going to be bringing a lot of this insight into how the transformation of the dealership will evolve. And I think that is very critical because what Hire Car seems to be doing is right along that path. You guys are kind of in these early stages, and hopefully as things continue to grow, consumers out there will experience exactly what this new dealership model will be as a result of the efforts that Hire Car does. So... 
I want to get into, let, you know, let's let's just get into this right away and, and, and let's hear your thoughts, all right? So there, there's, there's no softball in this game. So as I was looking around at Hirecar, I mean, you guys are already trading uh, on the NASDAQ. And so you guys currently have a market capitalization of about $45 million, which in your industry, at least as I was looking on Fidelity, that represents about 4% of the industry. And, and, and the market cap in the, in the industry is $1.28 billion. So it's like you guys are, I would argue, you guys are off to a very good start. Uh, you have the December jobs report, which was positive. There was 312,000 jobs that were added. Unemployment is at record lows, under 4%. And you have wages that are slightly up. So then other than interest rates rising, investing in small cap stocks is still risky business. What is it about higher car that makes it poised for success? Well, uh, let me ask, answer your first thing about the risky business. I would tell you that certainly in my experience, the higher the risk, the potential for a much higher reward. Uh, but higher car is actually in position to leverage what may be even a downturn in the economy. But what we know that higher cars whole business model is based on helping somebody who owns an asset and somebody who needs an asset to come together through an online marketplace. And frankly, it's not much different than what Airbnb has done for property, for people that own homes or have an extra room in their house. We have started, Hirecar started with peer-to-peer, meaning somebody with an extra car or they didn't need it uh, every day, they can make it available on a daily, weekly, or monthly basis for other individuals, and most importantly, specifically, ride-sharing drivers. I think what uh, might be news to your audience is that over 50,000 drivers a month apply for a ride-sharing career every month. And now sometimes it's 40, sometimes it's 60, but the average is 50. What we know through our data is over 40% of that 50,000 market of drivers do not own their own car or they do not have a car that qualifies for ride sharing. And Hire Car is working to fix that need. Now, Okay, so that actually does make it a more interesting model then because then it's no longer just about, you know, the the consumption of a vehicle and and the consumption being that it's just being driven by the person that owns it. But now this is the commercialization of vehicles in which it's been it's been done as a peer to peer model. Now, if anything, the one kind of, uh, um, you know, light at the end of this year's tunnel is the fact that you guys are expanding into dealerships or or you're you're trying to get into dealerships get in with the oems you know maybe share with me what's the what's the reason behind getting getting into that game sure and uh that's an absolute natural question so what we look at with peer-to-peer and there's a few players in this space is that there's a lot of labor involved to load one car at a time and engage with one individual But if you can engage with one dealer that owns hundreds of cars, or even better, a dealer group that owns thousands of cars, to onboard them is actually 
easier than onboarding one car at a time. So the scalability skyrockets and the dealers benefit the most because they're utilizing infrastructure that they already own. These are cars they have. These are prop this is property they already own so they can do the transaction where drivers can pick up vehicles and return vehicles. And in addition, they already have the people in place to handle it. And further, what we're finding is the dealers now are incrementally increasing revenue for what is otherwise idle assets. Explain that a little bit more, please. So, for example, if you take a look at a dealership, you'll see tens, if not hundreds, or in some cases, thousands of vehicles on their lot. And let's just take the new used cars for a moment. Often those used cars will sit on a lot for 30, 60, 90 days or more. Well, if you allocate some of those vehicles to a platform, and again, I like the parallel of Airbnb, but here, this vehicle's sitting here. Let me put some on a platform for ride sharing. Well, you now are earning income on those cars to offset the depreciation that's going to happen regardless whether they're driven or not. And here's something else we've discovered that today cars depreciate more over time than on miles. And the fear in the past that dealers have had of putting a rideshare person or, or their vehicle for any ride hailing service is, oh my goodness, there's gonna to be too many miles in the car, the value will exceed any type of revenue I could get. Well, that turned out to be an untrue uh, feeling. So we are able to leverage the fact that cars Maintenance requirements are lower, their durability is better than ever, and cars today can go 100, 200, 300, 400,000 miles just well maintained. Odometers used to be the measure of a vehicle's value. Uh -huh. Our position is today that revenue is the new odometer. You earn money on a product or a, an asset that is not earning you money until you sell it. I, that's definitely uh, an astute observation about how the used car landscape is changing. Although now it, you are, you guys are embarking on a, on a bolder strategy um, of saying that, hey, these idle cars can be making you money. Now, part of that other equation, though, is getting the, you know, the users on board. What's how, how do you guys try to get the rest of the ecosystem uh, on board with this? Or I, I guess, you know, the ecosystem won't just be the, the users, the consumers themselves, but you also have the OEM. So let's talk about the, the well, your, your pick. Do you want to talk about automakers? Do you want to talk about consumers? I think we'll do both. Let's do it. All right. So uh, everyone actually wins in this scenario. And that's what really is fun and frankly drew me to the company. Let's start with uh, the consumer. Um, you know, I certainly believe that there is going to be, as a percent of the addressable market, a little less private ownership. I don't think it's going to be as dramatic as what's being professed. But what I know, and I'm a perfect example, I own three cars and I take Uber and Lyft. The fact is, is that it's almost incremental. And I kind of look at the home uh, video audio uh, analogy as well. I have direct TV, but I also have Netflix and I have Hulu, Hulu and others. So the convenience that ride sharing offers isn't really going to completely substitute private ownership. So now if that's understood, let's take a look at how can the dealer benefit from that? Well, the dealer that 
recognizes that they are in the transportation business, not just selling cars, can take a platform and hire car is the only platform at the moment that does this, that encourages uh, drivers to drive the car and goes after a market that there's an extreme shortage of vehicles for because of the demand every month of people entering the gig economy. So now you have a dealership that offers the traditional sale and user of a car, a private owner purchase, and they're also in the business of servicing cars. Well, what better customer to have than someone who's putting a lot of miles on their car than a rideshare driver? Now, I would say today, most dealerships are not what I would call rideshare friendly. And why, part, why is that? I, I think what happens is the banks have been a little slow to recognize the value of the rideshare customer. Many banks will not finance a rideshare customer because they assume the collateral is going to depreciate too quickly. And frankly, that's an old paradigm. It may have been valid a while ago, but as we know, technology and the current state of what's available through smartphones and how easy they make it to do business is changing the whole world of on-demand. So, you know, rent-a-cars have been around forever. So you'd say, well, what, why, how is this different than a rent-a-car model? Well, how it's different is that a rideshare driver has a tough time renting a car. That the miles that those rental car agencies charge, if they'll even give a rideshare driver a car, are punitive. It doesn't even make financial sense. So we come along with data that says, hey, the cars aren't depreciating with high miles like they used to be, and we can prove it. So we are aligning with banks that, it, that recognize our data and say, you know what? The worst case scenario, we just shorten the loan term to protect the collateral value because these people are good people and they're different from what a traditional taxi driver is because they take care of their cars. They're rated by consumers on the cleanliness, the hygiene, the appearance of vehicles. Uh, I see every time I get into an Uber, there's, there's either bottled water, there's candy, there's, there's seat covers. Some even have plastic wrap on the door handles. They want to preserve those cars so that uh, they're around for a long time. Whole different attitude. And of course, if I'm a bank, I want the driver to be a good custodian of the vehicle. And that's what these rideshare drivers are proving. They take care of it. It's their office. It's their income. Now, is there a concern at all of the turnover that happens within, let's say, for instance, Uber? I mean, I think that was one of the issues of why they're kind of holding back launching their IPO is because they are, you know, they're they're showing that their drivers aren't staying on board long enough. Does that does that play into your guys's favor? It. I don't want to sound like the eternal optimist, but it certainly plays into our favor. I mean, I would think so, right? Because it's like if 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 Uber drive if if a quote unquote Uber driver that's labeled an Uber driver is not staying with Uber for a long period of time, well, then that almost proves the model. It's like, well, this is not a you know this is not a long term proposition. So therefore, what can be a long term proposition? Well, the car is. So to your point, uh, here's the amazing thing. Hire car provides people that want to consider getting in the gig economy a way to tip their toe in the water. And uh, we average between three to six weeks is the driver turn on our platform. And we love it. 
and the dealers love it because they're getting their car back. <laughs> so they're not out on this infinitum uh, rental that, you know, they don't see the car. Yeah. They get it back and they actually, dealers can create their own used cars. And that the, the day of wholesaling aged inventory is slowly coming to an end because you just put the cars on this platform and the revenue they generate actually can pay the car down to zero. Okay, so there, I, I want to get back to that point because I do I have a, a question or a comment regarding that. But give me the more elaborate point of view, although keep it succinct so we can move on to other things. Again, I just want to make sure people are on the same page of what Hire Car is. So please. So, well, Hire Car's platform is quite simple, whether it's a private individual or dealer or a rental fleet that's a, a private rental fleet. Uh, they come to us. We uh, expose their inventory to the rideshare people that come to our website because of our SEO and SEM. Uh, we have somewhere between 25 to 35,000 drivers apply a month nationally on Hires Cars platform to get a car. Now, uh, a percentage of those, somewhere between 30, 35%, do not qualify because of either criminal background or driving record issues. So then the balance of those we would look for cars. And I will tell you, our addressable market and our opportunity is right now, we're only able to put uh, a small percentage of those people in cars only because we are just absolutely ramping up our dealer uh, business model. And that's gonna change quickly. <laughs> okay, so then going back then to what you're saying about how you know, as you evolve to the dealership model and how dealerships, their used car business will start to generate revenue for idle inventory. And furthermore, the idea or the need to wholesale vehicles will uh, go away. One of the things I was thinking about, though, right, is that one of the things that does depreciate a car, at least at this moment in time, is when you do have multiple owners of that car. So if there's a 2016 Audi A4 with one driver, 10,000 miles, and a 2016 Audi A4, 10,000 miles with two drivers on it, that two driver is going to lower the, the, the price of that car. You know, as you then see these, these ride-sharing cars coming back into the fleet, what, what happens to, you know, actually, the, you know, those cars actually moving off the entire dealership lot? So the short answer to your question is there is a definite paradigm shift to the positive about evaluating a car's value based on multiple owners. The primary uh, value metric of a used car is its condition both cosmetically and mechanically. So when a dealer is able to offer those vehicles, offer a warranty, most are still eligible for certified pre-owned. And for those that aren't, you can buy warranties. That's really the key. So the, the old metric is, is changed. It's a paradigm shift. I mean, again, it's, it, it, you, you've kind of brought back, your, you, you've, you've stated this point a couple times, and that is, you know, all of a sudden when you do have these cars that are professionally managed, quote unquote professionally, and now this is in the case of a dealership since they're already set up for service, when they can properly maintain these vehicles, you, you remove a lot of, um, um, you know, anonymity from what is actually what happened to that vehicle when somebody does want to buy it. Now, hire car hasn't been without some black eyes. 
uh, as I've had the chance to dig in a little bit deeper to hire car, uh, you know, Facebook has not been friendly to you guys and your own Facebook page has not been friendly to you guys. There's, there's lots of negative reviews coming, uh, from, from some of the users on your platform. Now those users, uh, because of your current model right now are from the peer to peer model. It hasn't gone yet to the dealership model yet, but still, if, you know, I'm looking at joining a higher car and, and now going through a dealership, I'm still going to look at those reviews and say, hmm, uh, I have some apprehension about what's supposed to happen here. Um, and, and just to kind of state some of the things. So a lot, of, a lot of the issues almost deal either with customer service or with regards to some kind of, um, uh, you know, issue that hasn't been resolved and, you know, money exchanging hands essentially. What can you tell me what was going on at that time? What are you guys doing to resolve these things? Well, I, I will tell you, those are absolutely um, accurate and in most cases uh, just real experiences that people shouldn't have experienced. So I'm certainly not going to hide from that. And matter of fact, it gave me pause when I was looking to join the company. But then when I looked deeper, I found that Hire Car has had Oh, it's, it's somewhere north of 15,000 transactions in a very short period of time. And while the reviews are certainly ugly to look at in some cases, they are very addressable. And they're, frankly, they're a result of success uh, too much too fast. So what we do, Hirecar has a team of over 30 people just in the customer service department and the calls are frankly thousands a day today and so we are working to expand that as quickly as possible and what's going to sound crazy and you kind of mentioned it earlier the labor market is tight it's we want to keep this in house and getting people on board has been a little tougher than we thought but bottom line there were some initial insurance issues that were real and we actually changed a couple insurance carriers because of how they were handling claims on a not so timely basis. Um, but it's being addressed and it's part of, uh, frankly, oversubscription to what we could handle intelligently. And needless to say, customer service is what represents a significant difference in your business compared to your competition. Number one focus. Well, yeah, again, it's like with the $45 million market cap, you guys did, you guys had the fire hose coming at you and you couldn't drink fast enough coming out of that uh, thing. So you're being kind and I, I certainly don't want to justify it, but I can't stress enough how much that is a focus on every human being at higher car right now. Well, I mean, it, but, but you're right though too, right? It's like, um, you guys were growing so fast. I mean, in 2017, you guys had revenues of 3.2 million and what, when did the company start in operation? Uh, like, about two and a half years ago, yeah, it was, went public in June. Yeah, yeah. So, like, you guys are fairly new, and all of a sudden, you know, pretty quick out of the gates, you guys are over a million dollars in revenue. Um, so, okay, so let's, let's, we're talking about higher car now. We've, we've talked a little bit about how the higher car model fits in with the dealership, but let's even take one step back because obviously you're well versed, you've seen a lot of war. I'm sure you have your own war stories in the car business. So let's take a look at the dealership model. You know, as we look at the dealership of the future, as dealerships become more of a service 
business as dealerships incorporate things like hire car and do more fleet. If you were to, you know, prepare a dealership for what would come in the next three years, would would you be looking at, uh, hi, you know, you know, hiring a particular person with a title, a department? What internal changes to a dealership can they adopt in order to prepare for what's to come? You know, uh, very important, very, very relevant question. And it's it, the beauty is it's not that far of a leap from what a dealer is already doing today. Interesting. It's a mind shift change versus a infrastructure or capital expenditure change. And that's why I believe the dealers are in the best position. The answer is this. The dealer today has to envision themselves as the solution for any transportation needs that a consumer or a business needs. And whether that is a one-to-one end user, whether it's rental, whether it's serving the ride share and mobility, and frankly, I think dealers will be involved in flying cars. And I know that may sound like a joke, but I know it's coming. You're serious about that. I'm very serious. It is coming. You you know, the Jetsons are here. Uh, I've seen some stuff in the works that is just a few years out. Matter of fact, at the Detroit Auto Show, a company showed a two-person drone that could be flown with an FAA license that requires very little training. Uh, you know, many people forget that most car manufacturers started with airplanes. And Ford was an airplane manufacturer. And of course, during World War II and World War I, the auto manufacturers shut down all auto production and became air, uh, airplane manufacturers. There, I think we're gonna see that again and in a personal use market. And I'm excited about it. But So the answer to your question is, it's just prepare your people for it because you already have the facilities and embrace every form of how someone may want to use a vehicle. Totally with you on that. I mean, you know, uh, I've spoken about this on previous episodes. You and I chatted before about this that I, I know I'm, I'm glad it didn't go through, but I, I, I can't emphasize enough the assembly bill that could have been voted on where uh, dealerships or at least by extension uh, from the new car franchise dealership association uh, where they wanted to pass legislation which would not allow subscription services to be offered by automakers at least in the state of california you dealerships essentially would own that business and it's it's like that's i mean i guess what do you think about that brian it's like that's not the dealership's business however certainly they'll be involved in that and again that's where i guess obviously a hire car would come in well i think you know the subscription services is another uh small pivot from mobility in whether it's ride sharing ride hailing or car sharing so subscription services is unique where the whole idea is you can change your cars more frequently with a consistent monthly payment so if your needs one weekend were a, a Mustang convertible and the next weekend were a Ford Explorer, you can change that. That's certainly not going to be for everybody. Dealers, I think, were, are concerned that what if the manufacturer has a direct-to-consumer model and they're out of it? And that's why you saw that, that assembly bill. But frankly, the, what I know is dealers can't 
manufacturers cannot do that without the dealer because the manufacturer would have to buy real estate. The manufacturer would have to hire people. They would have to do You'd all... You'd have to break franchise law. And, which... Well, and certainly that, but let's just pretend that franchise law was broken. The capital expenditure that a, that a manufacturer would have to do to get into that business is a barrier to entry. Right. Already, subscriptions are at a premium compared to owning a car with all the cost advantages a dealer has. Yeah. So probably out of fear is why we saw that bill. And uh, I agree with you. It's not something a dealer needs to fear. Well, but it, like you said, it's the mind shift yes. right, that dealers need to adopt in order to ensure that they they continue to take their piece of the pie. And that pie will probably just get bigger. Yes. You know, I'm going to go out on limb. This is my claim and not yours, but certainly that piece of the pie will be more advantageous, I believe, to more of your dealer executives than to the than to the staff themselves. Which, again, that's that that could be another topic, Brian. And again, I'm sure you will have more insight to to that uh, dichotomy there. Um, you know, if, if we are then looking at um, higher car trying to get into dealerships, there's also the approach you guys are trying to get buy-in from the automakers, which this always seems to be the case. If you're going to get in with the dealers, you have to also get some kind of permission from the automakers. And, you know, tell me a little bit about how automakers are receiving higher car and, you know, what are some of the challenges you guys are trying to, are, are facing to, in order to overcome that? So we are uh, today in conversations with several OEMs and finance captives. And it's, again, I, I'm going to overuse this word mind shift, but originally there were some OEMs that said, can we do this without dealers? And then they realized, as very similar to the subscription services, that no, they can't. The dealers have the infrastructure, and if they have to replicate that cost, there's just no way to get into mobility and be profitable. And if you take a look at Uber and Lyft that are struggling to be profitable, and they don't even have the assets. Imagine if they had to build the assets. So uh, the OEMs today that we're talking to realize that the dealer not only is their partner for mobility, but is going to be the enabler. And that is what keeps the manufacturer plants running. And as the the OEMs have had this mind shift, now they're getting their captives in line to provide the financing for it. Mm-hmm. And that that is, I believe, that mind shift, that positive mind shift, is the benefit for everybody in the ecosystem of mobility and uh, retailing for I'm, automobiles. I'm sold. <laughs> I mean, I'm telling you, it's like, uh, as I mentioned at the kind of start of the, the show, the first question, right? Like investing in small cap stocks is risky. And, you know, certainly it's, uh, you know, as, as I, you know, I'll be, I, I follow now a lot of uh, companies that are publicly traded. And so, you know, as I looked at HireCard and I'm looking at all your financials and, you know, I, I would consider myself uh, an intermediate learner of, of these kinds of things, there are some favorable elements to HireCard, which as you then take a look at the exterior influences of HireCard, such as what you guys are doing um, to build relationships with dealerships and manufacturers, but then what manufacturers are trying to do in their business, like there can be this, you know, confluence of, 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 you know, of, of businesses that's, Hey, I got, I got a, uh, I'd purchase a few thousand stocks of, <laughs> of higher car, but uh, you know, I'm not giving financial advice either. So anyhow, uh, Brian, tell me, uh, we, we only have a little bit more time here, right? 
Yes, sir. So tell me a little bit about yourself. Um, again, I know that you started in the business back in the 80s. You were with Galvin. Actually, for- 78. I was, a, I was a part salesman at Pep Boys. Okay. So it even goes back before <laughs> the actual quote-unquote dealership world. Yes. So then, um, you know, what has kept you in the business for so long? You know, uh, I went to Cal State Northridge as I, I put myself through university as a salesman, sales manager, and then all the way up the chain. And the bottom line answer is, I love solving people's transportation problems. And it was fun because, it, it, well, excuse me, it is fun. I said was because it, it, I was in the retail segment up until a few months ago. Uh, so for 40 years. And, you know, there's just getting a vehicle, it doesn't matter whether it's new or used, it's new to you. And it's, it's an exciting, fun thing. And yes, mobility is going to change a little bit. But I got to tell you, there's nothing more exciting when I'm driving around in a cool car and the youngsters come up and want to take pictures and put it on Instagram. Cars are going to be around for a long time. And yeah, you can say I'm biased because I love cars, but cars are actually still very economical and have become more economical to use. And just wait till the alternative fuel vehicles catch uh, critical mass. The EV, yeah, right. EVs are going to turn things upside down. EVs, you know, they, they don't have that uh, sexiness yet that uh, that the internal combustion engines have. But uh, certainly with, you know, generations that come up, yeah, they will find EV sexy. Well, I'll tell you something funny. There's a growing industry of putting EV motor uh, powertrains into used those car. sexy cars. Yeah, well, in used cars, yes. I, I've seen a couple of those cars. We where... have E-types, we have Mustangs, we That's have Camaros. Crazy. Putting them in uh, classic muscle cars. Yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. Yeah. And Ford just announced their e electric F one fifty yesterday. So there's I mean, imagine some how fun many, stuff. Yeah. Imagine how many cars you can revive now. Not you know knowing the fact that you don't have to go back to these parts that don't yes. exist anymore. Yes. Oh. Yeah. It's, and what's amazing is it's actually a fairly easy transition because there's so few moving parts. Yeah. Right. You're putting right. the body on top of a chassis. Exactly. And uh, it's exciting. I think it's going to give a whole new life to these gorgeous automobiles that we all uh, have a passionate love for, at least most of us. Excellent. Well, Brian, thank you for being here on the show. Uh, How can people follow you? Uh, I'm on Cardoodle on Twitter, uh, JagmanBry on Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, You just type in Brian Allen and automotive and you'll find me. 